Hi, welcome to the Holesley Mark Podcast Show. And today I am talking to Timothy Beckley. Who is Timothy Beckley? Well, he's a UFO, a paranormal pioneer. He's had so many careers that even his own girlfriend doesn't know what he does for a living. Well, it doesn't matter. I've got a different girlfriend anyway, so... (laughs) <laughs> the, 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 current one does, the current one knows. Go ahead. Timothy has been described as the the Hunter Thompson of the ufo, ufology by the UFO of the UFO okay, magazine Nancy Nancy Times. Since an early age was that life was more or less revolved around the paranormal. At age of three, his life was saved by invisible force. The house he was raised in thought to be haunted. His grandfather saw a headless horseman. Beckley also underwent the body out-of-body experience starting at the age of six. He saw the first of three UFOs when he was about about ten, but he has two more sightings since, including an attempt to communicate with one of three objects. Tim grew up listening to all only the all night talk show in the country that revolved around the strange and unexplained Long John's Nibbles guests, including the early UFO contactees who claimed to have visited other planets and built time machines in the desert. This has fascinated it. he was fascinated by it. Everything that went bump in the night, even the daylight, for that matter. Years later, Tim was appeared on Long John's show numerous times, and over the years have been frequent guests on hundreds of programmes, which have been come and gone just like ghosts in the night. He is a popular guest on Coast to Coast at AM. They appeared on William Shatner's Weird or What, an episode of UFO Hunters regarding the dreaded men in black, he and his own project unraveling the secrets the he has his own set podcast unrevealing the secrets and Mr. UFO's secret files a new UFO channel but it's probably not new because it's an old bio <laughs> Tim Stark well, no, no, that's pretty that's pretty that's pretty accurate I, I think they get I think they get the uh, the idea I've been doing this since uh Day one, and uh, so I continue uh, doing this. I just turned 71, and I tell people that ask that I'm 70, semi-retired, that I'm uh, down to publishing only three new books a month. Only three? You know, we've got got 305 uh, different uh, titles. Uh, Now, I didn't write them all, uh, of course, but this is what our uh, little uh, uh, publishing uh, company uh, Interlight Publications that put out over the um, years, starting in 1965. Now, can you tell me about your some of your paranormal experiences? Oh boy! Well, that would t- that would take up the whole hour that we have. But let me see. Let's start back. Um, I guess the first one, and you mentioned it in passing, uh, was at uh, approximately the age of three. Uh, my father was born in the state of Kentucky, and 
because for some reason uh, there was a lack of uh, uh, pollination in the uh, in the air, and, and so people that had uh, bad uh, allergies would would uh, go there. And since we did have a family there, I had an aunt and uncle and uh, cousins and all that was the place to go. So um, we would uh, get in our old Oldsmobile, and it would take about uh, three or three and a half days to get down there. Uh, they would set me up in the back seat of the car with a few uh, toys and, and and some bedding to sleep on, and, and we were on our way. My father did most, if not all, of the driving, and my mother would sit in the front seat uh, directing him. And um, it was uh, during the last evening, and I guess we were pretty uh, close to getting down to uh, Shelbyville, which is the home of... Uh, uh, the KF uh, uh, Ch- Colonel Sanders, the Chicken King. Uh, that was where he was from. In fact, I met him over the years, and uh, it, it was getting uh, rather late, and it was getting uh, somewhat uh, misty or foggy out. And uh, my mother uh, insisted that we uh, stop right there and then, uh, even though my father wanted to continue to drive because he felt that we were so close. But uh, my mother, being a um, uh, the forceful one in the family uh, made my father pull over. So here we are uh, late at night uh, somewhere up, you know, in the, uh, the uh, mountainous uh, territory on our way to uh, Kentucky. Okay, so I slept in the back, and uh, I guess my parents rested up front. And when the uh, sun came up, uh, the mist uh, kindly, uh, kind, uh, kind of separated over a little period of time, and it turned out that we were on the edge of a cliff, and if we had dr- uh, driven another foot or two, we would have been at the bottom of the uh, ravine, and I would not be doing this program with you today. So uh, I do believe that an unseen hand uh, prevented us from going over uh, into the, uh, the cavern, uh, below. So that was the first, uh, I guess you could say, uh, uh, experience of this uh, nature. Uh, the house that I lived in, uh, we had some poltergeist uh, phenomena, you know, lights going on and off and doors opening and closing. And I remember one time a uh, chinaware, a, a plate, slid across the table and plopped onto the floor without breaking. It just sort of uh, floated down. Of course, now my main... Um, uh, I guess foray into the uh, unusual here took place when I was uh, 10 years old. Uh, that's when I had the uh, the first of three uh, UFO uh, sightings. It was a, uh, a warm summer evening, and uh, in those days nobody had any air conditioning. So we all just kind of uh, sat outside on the front stoop until it got cool enough to go inside. And uh, at uh, some point, uh, just uh, after... Uh, sunset, uh, twilight, I would guess I would call it, somebody came up to the porch where we were seated and pointed out two objects in the sky. One was directly overhead and one was over an abandoned factory building. And uh, they they hovered and they circled up above. Uh, the one across the street would circle above the house and the one above the house would circle back over the abandoned factory uh, building. And this continued on for about maybe uh, 10 minutes or so and then the one across the street, it looked like somebody pulled the light switch. It was just gone. 
and uh, eventually we went uh, indoors, uh, you know, because it had cooled off, and uh, tried to forget about it, I, I guess, uh, although there was a lot of UFO activity at the time. And uh, the following day, or a couple of days later, there was a little item in the newspaper uh, that other people had seen these mysterious lights in the sky, but the authorities were saying that they were nothing more unconventional than a weather balloon. And even at the age of 10, I knew that these things had to be under intelligent control. I can't say that I saw any porthole. There was no landing gear. No little green men uh, waved at me. But it was certainly uh, something that stood out in my mind. And I began uh, reading the literature on the, uh, the subject. You know, uh, the early books by uh, Major Donald E. Kehoe and uh, Edward uh, Ruppelt and uh, even the ones by uh, George Adamski, who claimed that he had uh, a contact with the, uh, the mothership and a uh, Venusian, which, of course, is kind of suspect in this day and uh, in age. But it was uh, an exciting time in ufology, and I started writing uh, to local newspapers, and they, I was getting telephone calls from other people that had seen weird things in the sky. And I went out at the age of 14 or 15 and bought a mimeograph machine and started putting out my own newsletter. So that's the early history of my background in this. Um, a lot of people, uh, when I've done um, research for, into UFOs and paranormal, I find a lot of them are on ley lines. Do you find that as well? Well, ley lines, I guess, uh, uh, we've had on our uh, show, Exploring the Bazaar, a couple of people from the, the UK uh, who have talked about... Uh, uh, what do they call it, the old straight track uh, and, and ley lines. We don't have much of a discussion uh, here in the U.S. Uh, about that uh, because we just don't have the ancient uh, stone structures like you do uh, here. Uh, you would have to go out and um, <laughs> go, through the, go through basements and skyscrapers and God knows how you would go about uh, doing that here. But there are what we call uh, window areas where people do seem to hi have a heightened uh, degree of sensitivity when it comes to uh, uh, unexplained uh, phenomena. Uh, John Keel used to, I guess he was among the first to write about uh, them. Uh, he was down in Point Pleasant, uh, West Virginia, and uh, discovered the, the sightings of the Mothman. This would have been in the uh, mid-1960s. Uh, and he found that there were sightings in certain areas, and they were repetitive over and over and over again. And we still see that uh, uh, to this uh, day here in the uh, in, in the U.S. There are places that we call uh, uh, window areas or vortexes, like uh, Sedona, Arizona, uh, Joshua Tree, uh, California, a couple of places in Pennsylvania uh, where people go and they have uh, multiple sightings. Now, some people, uh, Mark, are more receptive than other people are to uh, strange events. Uh, we did a book uh, not too long ago, which is called UFO Repeaters, The Camera Doesn't Lie. And th this uh, book, uh, can, no, I guess it's a good 300 pages, are about people who have the uncanny ability to go out either in the daytime or at night and repeatedly take photographs of uh, things in the sky that shouldn't uh, be there. We even have a gentleman who lives uh, here in Manhattan by the name of Mark Brinkerhoff, and he's got dozens of photographs of, of strange 
objects twisting and turning uh, right outside his window, which isn't too far from Central Park. So uh, we don't call them ley lines. We just call them uh, mystery uh, uh, zones or window areas. I've, I've noticed a lot of people um, refer to the fact that aliens and angels could possibly be the same being. Well, now, I'm not a big authority on the Bible, but uh, I can uh, uh, relate to, to you. Uh, uh, we have published a book by uh, Reverend Barry Downing, who, who has gone into the subject. In fact, he wrote a book uh, on, on this uh, topic, uh, I think around the time, or maybe even shortly before, uh, Eric Van Daniken brought out Chariots of the Gods, uh, speculating that uh, uh, angels and aliens uh, might be the same thing, and that they were responsible for parting the Red Sea, and many of the miracles that took place in the Bible. But that's not quite my uh, department. Uh, I do believe that the... Uh, what we are dealing here is not so much of a uh, interplanetary uh, manifestation as it is something of a, a paranormal uh, nature. I, I don't believe that we've got to go off to, uh, you know, the far planets in the solar system or somewhere else in the cosmos to find these strange visitors. I think they exist in parallel uh, dimensions and that they can come and go. I can't say whether they can do it at their own will or not, but they do seem to have the ability to pop in and out uh, of our uh, dimension through, well, if you want to call them wormholes or gateways, uh, I suppose you can. You can come up with any uh, phrase that you, you want to, but I, I think we should look closer uh, to home than looking up in the heavens. Now, this is not to say that there aren't visitors from other planets. I would never go as far as to say that we are alone in the uh, the cosmos, and, and maybe we are talking about the, uh, the same thing, you know, because uh, if we're going to travel through space, we're certainly not going to do it with the, the, uh, the fuel and the type of rocketry that we have now. Uh, it would take too long to get anywhere, even Mars, if you shoot, if you shoot off to Mars, you're, ne you're, you're, ne you're never going to come back. It's a one-way trip. And, and so I don't think that that uh, qualifies as uh, uh, space travel uh, as these guys might, uh, uh, guys or whatever they are, uh, might uh, know it. Well, I know when from my, I've studied in the world of cryptozoology that Bigfoot is related to the fact that um, the creature can go in and out of... Um, parallel or doorways and well and, and and is also connected to um paranormal as well oh, oh well you know there's a divide in the uh, bigfoot community there are those uh, just like in the ufo field who stick to uh, everything has to be uh, you know physical uh, that uh, the ships are, are are solid craft they land here they leave indentions on the uh, the ground they uh, can be picked up on radar, and they shoot off and disappear back into space. Same thing with the Bigfoot. There are those that believe that it's some uh, flesh and blood uh, the, uh, creature, some uh, missing uh, uh, link, uh, some uh, giant uh, hairy uh, ape, 
that lives in the remote parts of the forest. I can't buy that because I think by this time we would have found uh, some uh, remnants of uh, one of these uh, uh, creatures. Uh, I believe that they are of a, a paranormal nature. Now, I did a, a, a report back in, I think it was 1975, uh, about the skunk egg of the Everglades. Uh, there was a, a professor down there who had actually found an area where these uh, very smelly uh, creatures, they were albinos, I, I, I believe, were, were showing up on a regular basis, and they, they set up cameras and everything trying to uh, photograph them. I don't think they had too much luck in uh, uh, doing that. But there was one individual that I talked to. He uh, had me speak to the guy on the phone. The fellow was a, a security uh, worker, and uh, one night he had, there was this uh, terrific odor back where they parked the, uh, the uh, trucks. Uh, and uh, I guess he went to investigate, and there was this big, hairy, white uh, the, the, uh, creature uh, just uh, kind of lumbering around uh, the uh, vehicles. And, and so he somehow uh, uh, cornered it and got it to go inside one of these big uh, uh, tractor trailers. Well, he could hear the creature thumping around inside, so he figured he would call for backup. So he walkie-talkied, uh, uh, you know, other security guards and maybe the local police, uh, but when they got there, there was no sign of the thumping around of this uh, uh, albino creature, and when they opened the door, the only thing they were confronted with was a terrific smell, but no sign of any uh, skunk ape. So where did it go? It disappeared in the back of a truck. It didn't walk through the wall. It must have got back to its uh, uh, parallel uh, dimension or from wherever it came. Well, I, 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 my, I have a, a friend of mine called Richard Freeman who goes on regular expeditions looking for orange pendant. And, 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 where, and where, uh, where does he live? It is in the UK. Oh, in the UK. Well, I know you've got uh, some uh, big cats and, of course, uh, demon uh, dogs. Uh, even Arthur, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle uh, wrote about it in The Hound of the Baskervilles, uh, it, which, of course, was made into a movie years later starring uh, Basil uh, Ratboat. Uh, these, uh, there are all kinds of uh, uh, strange cryptoid creatures uh, roaming around. Uh, we did a book uh, that's only been out for about six months or so called Weird Winged uh, Creatures. And, and uh, throughout history, there have been uh, all these uh, winged uh, beings that have uh, glided and soared and hovered uh, in, the, uh, in the sky, which don't seem to have uh, a home uh, in, uh, in the world uh, as we know it today. There's a, a thunderbird that has a, a wingspan of 30 feet or more. Uh, in fact, even the Native Americans uh, on the side of one of the uh, uh, the cliffs have uh, have done a uh, an etching that uh, I think has been retouched over the years uh, of one of these giant. They called it, I think, the Piazza uh, bird. That was the local name uh, for it. And of course, we've got the very famous or infamous Jersey Devil that was uh, been around since about 1750. Or, or so, and, and this hovers over the highway, it nestles in the trees, 
and appears uh, appears mainly in the uh, pine barrens, not too far from uh, it, uh, Atlantic uh, City. Uh, there are other uh, beings of this uh, type, and now we've even got floating uh, uh, aliens. Well, I don't call them aliens. I, I like to refer to them as uh, alter-terrestrials because, well, I guess you could call them uh, aliens if you want because they're not uh, native to this place and time, but alter-terrestrials I think is a little bit better uh, description of uh, uh, what they might uh, be. Uh, and uh, there are many uh, uh, photographs that we have that are actually uh, published in that book for the first time, which show these uh, winged uh, creatures. Uh, some of them uh, actually are not even in the suburban areas, but in the major cities. Uh, Mothman, which was a rural, uh, you know, inhabitant down there in Point uh, Pleasant, till the uh, Silver Bridge uh, collapsed. That's a very famous uh, uh, story. And of course, uh, Richard Gere uh, appeared in the. Uh, cinema version of it, the Mothman Prophecies, uh, Mothman looks like he has moved on to Chicago, which of course is a, a much more bustling uh, a city with skyscrapers and giant office buildings than Point Pleasant would be, but uh, there are quite a few witnesses now who claim that they've seen and even photographed this uh, giant uh, bird uh, in, in uh, the windy uh, city. So, uh, you, ne you never know when one of these creatures might appear uh, somewhere. Well, over here we have reports of Wild Man, or the, our version of um, Bigfoot. But it's a bit more uh, of a controversial subject. Most people think it's paranormal in the old cryptozoology field. But there has been numerous witnesses accounts of seeing... Um, well, man, I, and I interviewed a lady called Deborah Hatwell, who's done a lot of um, research and has a lot of the accounts. Oh, you, you have to hook me up uh, with her. I'd love to have her on uh, our uh, on our show. We we have. I think we've only had one guest uh, so far who uh, was knowledgeable on the uh, uh, the subject of uh, these uh, cryptoid creatures. Uh, in uh, Britain and around that area. Although, we we have a book that just came out. I did not write it, but I did do the introduction, uh, which you have read. It's up there uh, as a, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, a podcast. It's a, uh, it's a, you, you're reading the introduction to my book on Jeff, the talking mongoose, the eighth wonder of the world. Now, if that isn't a strange uh, uh, creature, I certainly don't know. Uh, what is that's one of my favorite all-time uh, Fortean uh, topics uh, I mean it's something I remember reading uh, when I was a, a kid and it's stuck, something that's stuck in my mind so uh, recently the uh, book by Harry Price that was done I think in 1935 went into public domain now uh, rare booksellers are selling the book for a thousand dollars dollars or more, but I found somebody that uh, gave, sent me a PDF. So we put this together with some uh, new material, and basically, uh, I, I guess you know the story, maybe a lot of your listeners uh, do, about uh, the talking mongoose uh, that first appeared uh, uh, on the Isle of uh, Man, I guess it was around 1919 or 1920 or so. 
uh, it invaded the uh, the home of the Irvings, husband and wife, and a couple of children. But the uh, uh, the teenager who seemed to have uh, the uh, uncanny ability of talking to the mongoose uh, the most was about 12 years old. And skeptics accused her of being a ventriloquist and in throwing her voice and said she was doing casting shadows on the wall. The uh, uh, Jeff, well, he was fr- he first showed up uh, making a scratching uh, sounds and. Uh, I, I guess the family put out the poison because they thought he was a rodent. Well, a mongoose is a rodent, but uh, they thought it was a rat or something like that, you know. But uh, then he accused them. He started talking and, and saying, heck, you know, why are you trying to, to uh, you know, uh, poison me? And uh, he said that he had been born like in India in the, you know, 1550 or something like that and ended up uh, coming to the U.K. on a boat or something. And, and living in the Isle of Man, and finally, uh, I guess he had uh, found a, a nice warm place uh, inside this uh, uh, a home that was owned by the Irvings. Now, uh, Mr. Irving had quit his job uh, uh, in, uh, I guess, uh, London or one of the big cities because he wanted to, uh, as we would say to uh, today, get off the grid. So he became a sheep uh, a farmer. Uh, and uh, moved out to the Island of Man, uh, uh, and then Jeff the Talking Mongoose uh, showed up. Now, okay, so the mongoose would uh, sometimes be friendly and would chat uh, basically with the uh, the young girl, but if you got him mad, he could turn on you very uh, easily. And they asked him, well, I guess a series of questions. At first he claimed to be a talking mongoose, and then he said he was a spirit, but if he was a spirit, how could he, like, chase the cats and other animals uh, away? There was some thinking that he was a, a, a poltergeist or, or a demon, uh, but nobody, nobody knows for sure. But uh, investigators and parapsychologists came uh, from all over uh, Europe uh, to investigate the, uh, uh, the appearance of, uh, of Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Some of them uh, spoke to Jeff, but uh, usually he was pretty silent. Uh, when they uh, when they uh, showed up, he didn't really want to have uh, anything to do uh, with them. But he, if you did irritate him, he once said that uh, even though he uh, uh, was a friendly sort, that if he wanted to, he could kill somebody. I don't know how a mongoose might do that, but uh, uh, it, it's a it's a strange uh, story. So that's uh, Jeff, the uh, talking mongoose, the uh, eighth wonder of the uh, the world. It's a big illustrated book by uh, Tim Schwartz, and it just came out uh, a couple of uh, days ago. A uh, bizarre story. I, I'm sure you probably have heard of it. Well, one of my bizarre stories I like, because A, it's in the, where I used to live, is the Rat Man of South End. No, tell me about that. Well, basically, it, it, it's... Um, uh, the, this place in South End, there's um, a... a a walk like an underground walkway where the believed to have been a tramp was walking around and got injured and um seriously hurt and as he was dying he was being he was slowly eaten and gnawed away by rats and ever since oh. ever since then he could hear noises of scratching and and um 
scraping and and um if you went down there you had you didn't stay there there very long and also the other side is that the fact that he's his uh mother had a, a bit of an affair with a local mayor and it was a bit you know a bit on the naughty side so he was born with um a short stout of a nose and a tail well i know it is possible for people to be born with tails because i have heard of this and i know that yeah, yes uh-huh. and i know people had with operations so that part could be true but it's one of my favorite stories because i lived in the area and i didn't even know this story existed (laughs) uh well you know you you come across uh, even even the mothman uh story you know that john keel wrote the uh the uh, book on the mothman prophecies he did not go to point pleasant west virginia to investigate this uh uh, winged uh, creature he had gone down there. He was writing a, col- a column for uh, a newspaper syndicate that was appeared. The column was in like 40 different newspapers. And he had gone down there to investigate reports of a flying cat. Yes, I said flying cat. Uh, apparently the cat had been found in a tree. But then what, what cats don't climb trees and can't uh, uh, get down? But this cat actually had wings. Even though nobody ever saw him uh, uh, fly, it was Tom the Winged Cat. Well, I don't think John ever found uh, Tom the Winged Cat because he disappeared. Now, I don't know whether he flew off or or, or what the, uh, the the you know the story was about his uh, uh, disappearing. But one one individual who claimed they owned the cat sued somebody else because they claimed it was their cat to begin with. So it it, it was all. Uh, it was all a furry mess, I guess you could uh, you, you could uh, you could say. But uh, yeah, he went down there to investigate Tom, and, and not not uh, the Mothman creature. It was while he was down there that I guess the uh, the story uh, uh, kind of uh, broke, and he met this um, uh, lady uh, that I met over the years too. She's now deceased by the name of Mary Hire. Uh, Mary Hire um, worked for. Uh, the local newspaper, which I think was the uh, the Gazette, I'm not sure about the name, but she had collected, she started interviewing the witnesses, and then the men in black showed up. You know, these are these uh, the sinister type of guys that uh, often pop in after uh, a, a witness has had a, a close encounter. And I don't know if they actually threatened anybody uh, per se, but they kept a close watch on some of the witnesses and did some pretty oddball things, which they are uh, prone to do. It seems like they can shapeshift, they can read minds. And in fact, that's one of the things about any of these things that are a phenomenon that's related to UFOs. They seem to have the ability to change shape and to change appearance. Uh, even, even as far as these uh, uh, ships... Uh, our craft in the sky. Uh, we've had people report to us that they saw this object that started out as a, a cigar shape and suddenly turned into a metallic ball. Uh, there's one case, and this is one of my favorite abduction stories. I'm, I, I'm not a big, I can't say I disbelieve in abductions, but it's not something that I've really studied all that much. I do believe in that Travis Walton and, of course, uh, Betty and Barney Hill, 
I think their stories are legitimate, but I can't say for sure what really happened uh, to them. That's kind of open for uh, debate. But uh, there's a gentleman, and he is still uh, living, uh, by the name of uh, Charles Higdon. Or, I'm sorry, Carl Higdon. And he had taken the day uh, off uh, from work. He uh, was in the drilling business, oil drilling business in uh, Montana. And he had taken the day off from work to go elk hunting. It was just the opening of elk season. So he got in his his truck, uh, you know, they call it a 4x4 with the open uh, uh, hatchback. And he drove out to this area where apparently the elk had been spotted. And he parked his truck on the grassy knoll, and he got out of the vehicle, and he saw some elk off in the distance. Well, okay, he uh, raised his rifle, looked through the scope, and went to shoot uh, at the uh, the elk. And the bullet came out, believe it or not, in slow motion. All of a sudden, while he was doing this, everything around him changed. The woods became, uh, you know, a silence. There was no sound of birds. There was no ambient uh, sound, I guess we would call it in the movie business, you know. Everything was just dead still. The bullet came out in slow motion and appeared to hit an invisible barrier. It came out in slow motion and it did this and the bullet just fell to the ground. Well, uh, off in the distance, uh, he saw this cube-shaped object uh, resting on the ground, I think on a tripod uh, landing gear of some sort. And in front of the uh, craft, there was a being uh, whose hairstyle uh, was kind of like straw. It reminds me of early one of the early punk rockers uh, from uh, you know Britain there with the hair colored uh, yellow or or something like that. Very 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 strange. Uh, but he approached the uh, the object and this being, and before he knew it, he was teleported inside the craft. Now, the odd thing was is that when the, uh, this cube was on the ground, it did not appear to be a very uh, uh, large. But once he got inside, it was three or four times uh, the size of what it appeared to be from outside. And strangely enough, uh, there were compartments in there like cages which held several elk. And you know how big an I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever saw an elk, but they're, they're a sizable, uh, you know, um, uh, animal. They're not like a pet dog or something. Yeah, pretty, pretty big and pretty uh, heavy. Anyway, these uh, these elk were inside cages there, and he was led into a compartment. And this craft, this cube, although it didn't look like a cube inside, took off, and he found himself uh, somewhere else. I can't say it's on another planet, but let's say it was. And he was taken into a, a building that he described as looking sort of like uh, the Space Needle at the World's Fair in Seattle. And from inside, he could look down on the, the street. And they had uh, motorized the streets, I guess like you would have in airports now, you know, where the, uh, the, uh, uh, the it seems to move. So you can just step onto, the, step onto it and it, uh, it travels on its own and, you don't have to lug the baggage or walk down a long uh, uh, corridor. And so he could see people uh, people and beings on the street. Some of them look like these uh, 
uh, guys with the uh, uh, moose in their hair, uh, and uh, others uh, appeared uh, very human, as if they had just walked off uh, the planet Earth just like he had. And then he got up on a he got up on a device, and uh, it came out from the wall. He felt it was kind of like an X-ray to the, a machine of some sort. He could hear it, movements in his skin, his body. Uh, eventually, I guess they had a, a conversation with him, and he uh, uh, ended up uh, going back into the ship. And the uh, the craft uh, hovered uh, in the area where the truck had been, but somehow these these beings had teleported the truck into a marshy wooded area and he found himself back in his uh, vehicle uh, his face was already at a hard time uh, seeing uh, luckily he had a uh, you know some sort of a radio or uh, a ham uh, operator whatever they call the truckers uh, use you know and uh, he was able to communicate and the uh, the sheriff sent somebody to uh, to find out what was going on and his vehicle was so far back uh, in an area that he could not possibly have driven it. That it took tow tr- two tow trucks to get the truck uh, out of there. They had to lay down, you know, like logs and, and move the truck uh, a little at a time to get it back out to the uh, the grassy knoll where it had originally been parked. And, and the sheriff said, as far as he knows, there's no way that the guy could have gotten in there on his own. The uh, the vehicle would have sunk in the uh, in the marsh, you know. But somehow. It got back there, and they had a, they had a, uh, you know, put some chains on it and fix up the tires with chains and uh, pull it out. And they they took him to the hospital, and uh, you know he recovered there over a period of days. And it turned out that he had had a a spot on his, uh, oh I don't know whether it was his liver or some organ, uh, right? You know, internal organ, and it was gone. It had mysteriously disappeared. So. Uh, that machine that they device they had put him on uh, that looked like an X-ray uh, machine of some sort it, it, it must have done a little bit of healing on him, which is a good thing. And and so that that's my that's my favorite uh, uh, abduction uh, story. I, I think there's more evidence that uh, something happened to uh, uh, Carl King than than uh, anyone else, with the possible exception maybe of uh, uh, Travis Walton because there were uh, five or six witnesses to his. Uh, being uh, uh, taken up in a blue beam. Well, I've talked to a few people that um, have claimed to be abducted. One was a person called Russ Kellett uh, over here in the UK, and he was quite convinced, and he came across quite sane and normal, so I don't know. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, also, you've referred later, earlier to the Mothman. Uh, I presume you've heard yeah. of the Owlman of Moraine, which is... In Cornwall. Well, yes, I, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard of the Alman, but one of my favorite stories has to be um, Springheel Jack. Oh yes, yes. Uh huh. Yes. Oh, I, I believe that the the Rolling Stones, when they wrote Jumping Jack Flash, must have been thinking of of, of him. I, I believe that's where they got the idea for the uh, the the lyrics from. But that, that's got to be uh, right up there in the top ten uh, unexplainable, uh, you know, uh, uh, events of, uh, of all the time. Uh, this uh, guy dressed, I guess, in a weird uniform and uh, would uh, hop along the rooftops. And I had a, a thing for, uh, I think, uh, scaring the ladies 
more than uh, anyone uh, uh, anyone else. They he would kind of pop out of the uh, the hedges or uh, jump over, even jumped over the hedges, as I understand it. Now that's one of the remarkable uh, feats of some of these uh, uh, euphonauts uh, is that they they have the ability to uh, to walk through objects and to uh, leap over objects. You know, I had a, a UFO encounter in uh, Warminster. Uh, I was uh, friends with uh, Arthur Shuttlewood, who, of course, uh, was the uh, editor of the Warminster Journal. He started out as being a skeptic on all of this, but turned into a firm believer when he found out that UFOs were coming in on a regular basis over uh, Cradle Hill and Star Hill. And I was out there one night with him and uh, this uh, a fellow who was retired RAF uh, fighter pilot, Bob uh, Strong. Now, uh, Bob had a whole couple of photo albums that were filled with uh, UFO pictures. And I mean, we're not just talking about lights in the sky. We're talking about things that look like bats, things that look like uh, trains, uh, just a whole weird, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, variety uh, of uh, uh, UFOs in the nighttime sky. He would put his camera on a tripod on the hood of his car and uh, take these uh, pictures. And, and for a period, I think, of five or six years, these things were coming over on a regular uh, basis. Uh, anyway, I was out there uh, one night with uh, Arthur Shuttlewood and Bob Strong, and uh, there was this light in the sky, and I can't say that it was particularly puzzling, but Arthur thought that it was something uh, strange. So he says, wait a minute. And he went to the trunk of his car, and pulled out this uh, giant uh, searchlight, more like a, uh, a, a torch uh, light. I mean, a pretty big battery and all inside, you know. And, and started blinking it at the object in the sky. And he gave it to me and he said, see what happens when you blink at it. Well, every time we would blink at the object, it would start to move around almost as if there were there was a marionette, uh, you know, with the, like a puppet on a string or something. And this thing kind of just swayed back and forth. Uh, it wasn't anybody's porch light. It wasn't a street light, uh, you know, but eventually oh, we saw a couple of meteorites that night. Uh, eventually the cloud covering came and it started to rain. So we uh, we split. But now uh, in the dark there, I took a couple of uh, photographs of Bob Strong. And there was this lady from Scotland who had showed up uh, on a sky watch of her own with her husband who stayed in the car. And she was so tickled pink. She knew who all of us uh, were. I guess she had even, uh, you know, uh, read a couple of my articles or books or something. So I, I, I snapped a photo in the complete darkness. Uh, you know, I mean, I couldn't even focus on Bob and this uh, lady. And when I developed the film, which was a color slide, there in the background is something hopping around, coming down from the sky and kind of bouncing around in back of them. No porch lights, no search lights, uh, no via, uh, uh, aerial, no craft of any kind is pure uh, insanity. I mean, it, it just shouldn't be there, but it is there. And that, and that basically, in a nutshell, is my is my story. I mean, uh, you know, that's things that have happened over the years that I can't explain, and uh, it, it keeps me uh, interested, even though I'm up there in, in years now, and uh, I still try to keep as active as possible. I presume you've heard of British Roswell. Uh, I think we had a fellow on the uh, uh, on the show, uh, our Exploring the Bazaar. We have a, a YouTube channel. It's called Mr. UFO's uh, Secret Files. And we have about 500 uh, interviews uh, up there. 
And I remember uh, talking to somebody who discussed that at uh, uh, some uh, length. I'm not a, an expert on it, but I have heard uh, about it. Yeah, it was in Scarborough in 1957. Uh-huh. And uh, apparently um, there, there, there was wreckage and... Hieroglyphics, and it got into the science museum. But and, they, and, and, and what did the craft look like? They said it was a tiny. They revealed that the tiny sixteen UFO was definitely not extraterrestrial in nature. The UFO and, discovered you know, was found to be yeah, hollow. Was this the one? Is this the one that was originally? Uh, Associated with like some mysterious lights in the sky and an earthquake or something. Um, it, it just says mysterious hieroglyphics. It could be an earthquake because yeah. I know we have earthquakes over here. Uh, I, I I know you have to go soon, but I have an interesting theory. I don't, I don't yeah. know if you've come across this that I think that we've misunderstood time travel because we are technically time traveling as we speak. There are all kinds of theories for, uh, you know, UFOs. Uh, some of them could be uh, time travelers. I, I've come to the conclusion that we live in a, a computer simulation. One, one of the things that has uh, caught my attention and, and something that I've become uh, involved in uh, is uh, the synchronicities. In fact, uh, I'd be happy to do another show with you on the, uh, on the subject. I, I did a 450-page book recently called The Matrix Control System of Philip K. Dick and the Paranormal Synchronicities of Tim Yeah, I saw that. I, I love the title. Yeah. I love the title because yeah. a lot of people thinking, who's this person? And if you've ever seen the film based on the yeah. uh, Do Sheep Dream, uh-huh. Electrical Dreams, it's a famous it's a film. Total, 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 uh, total uh, recall. Yeah. Uh, is... Uh, uh, based on one of his uh, uh, one of his uh, uh, books, and you know he was at a science fiction convention uh, back in uh, France in 1955. And, uh, no, I'm sorry, 1977. And science fiction people do not, as a rule, believe in any of uh, of this. Uh, uh, you know, like the paranormal, because they've been told by their uh, their masters, like Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov, that we're all a bunch of uh, you know wackos and and uh, 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 nuts. Uh, anyway, at this press co- conference, uh, uh, Philip K. Dick uh, made some very unusual uh, uh, comments, and I'll just read part of this from the back cover of the book. He says, people claim to remember past lives. I claim to remember a, a different, very different present life. I know of nobody who has ever made this claim before, but I rather suspect that my experience is not unique. What perhaps is unique is my willingness to talk about it. We are living in a computer program reality, and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs. And because of this, a variable was changed, reprogrammed, reprogrammed as it were, and an alternative world branched off. And, and of course, there's uh, on uh, Amazon uh, Prime, there's the man in the... Uh, High Castle, I think it is a series, which is kind of based on this idea that uh, uh, there are uh, several, uh, re- you know, realities, 
and we could be living in both of them uh, simultaneously and not even uh, realizing it, it, it's a fascinating story and and i've had all these uh, uh, synchronicities and uh, uh it's something that uh, puzzles me and it does seem to tie in with the ufos uh because uh, a lot of people have had synchronicities that relate not only to their sightings but to their own you know paranormal uh, abilities I, I was going to ask you for links, but I know the, the people, all you have to do is look up the name Tim Beckley and you'll find him everywhere yes. on Google and yeah, yeah, Amazon. I'm not, I'm not, and... I, I swear I'm not hiding uh, from uh, anyone. Uh, if you go to, uh, uh, well, just send me an email, uh, mrufo8 at hotmail.com, mrufo8 at hotmail.com, and I'll, I'll send you a link to our radio show, our YouTube channel, our books that put you on our conspiracy journal mailing list and make your life a living hell. I promise that. And, and I, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to uh, get out to uh, uh, the word out to some of my uh, British uh, uh, friends. We have a lot of uh, friends uh, uh, from the uh, UK and in Europe on uh, on Facebook. And we're always uh, happy to, to chat with them. And once again, I thank you. I normally ask. Okay, I normally like to do a unique sign-off before I go. Would you like to do a quick unique sign-off? Well, you tell me what it is. I normally sing to you. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at you. I, I'm just thinking if I had a sing. But uh, go ahead. Yes. Right here you are. Are you ready, Tim? Yes, indeed. I talked to a man who knows a lot about UFOs. You may know him. He's quite famous, you know. Oh, so he says in his own head. But I don't know. Perhaps he dreams of it when he goes to bed. I mentioned his girlfriend on the bio, but he's got a new one now. But who knows? He he doesn't mind me mentioning that at all. So thank you for being on my show. It is very nice of you to to do this for me. Because I know how busy you are. Because you're quite a busy chap, you see. Thank you very much, my friend. I know you've got other things to do in life besides talking to some idiot in Ellsworth, England. You bet. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Good night. Good night.